Welcome into the Housing Hour with Kevin Ray, a locally produced program devoted to bringing you a fresh perspective on housing, diving into the issues that matter most. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray is presented by Mortgage Investors Group. Now, Kevin Ray. Welcome into the Housing Hour. This is Kevin Ray. I am your host. I'm here with Mark Griffith, our executive producer and co-host. Thank you guys for joining us. We're so grateful for your participation in this show. If it wasn't for you, our listener, we certainly wouldn't be here. We also want to thank Mortgage Investors Group for being our sponsor. Um, And we just want to thank you guys for coming in and joining our conversation. Uh, Lots going on out there. And we have one of our resident experts in studio with us, Dr. Michael Simpson, and we're going to get to him in just a second. Before we do, I do need to tell you how to plug in with us. Uh, we're all over the place. We're certainly on Facebook, facebook.com slash the housing hour, um, as well as Twitter at the housing hour. would love for you to um, get informed and come uh, join us. And then also the housing It's the mothership of all of the information where you can listen to our shows, our past shows. But, but, but it's brand new. It's brand new. Yes, it is. Um, we have a great new site, so we want you to go look at it, kind of explore it a little bit. We use nanotechnology to make it. so <laughs> Slider nanotechnology. It's a plug-in. Exactly. Are we talking about Mark's brain now? <laughs> <laughs> so that's fantastic. Oh, it already has started. <laughs> you know, I've been watching Facebook and um, uh Dr. Simpson, I'll, I'll call him. What would you like for me to call Mike, you? Mike, Mike would be good. Yeah. Mike, okay. Um, professor. D- professor. Yeah, no, nothing good ever happens when the phone rings and somebody says, is this Dr. Simpson? <laughs> I, I just hang up. Yeah. <laughs> you get that a lot from your wife, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, well, Mike is a researcher. Um, and why don't you tell the folks just kind of what you do, just so they know, because this is the first time you've actually been on at our new station. So it's probably not a bad idea to start by kind of giving giving them a little bit of a background. Rather than me doing it, why don't you just tell us what you do? Yeah, so I'm one of the many researchers that's joint between uh, the Oak Ridge National Laboratory and the University of Tennessee. And I work in, in an area, uh, it's a little hard to define. It's, it's nanoscience, it's, it's molecular technology. It crosses over into biology, so some nanobiosciences. And so we work at really small scales, the scales where molecular processes take place, where the most fundamental processes of life take place, where the most fundamental processes of disease take place. And we try to understand why things happen on that scale the way they do, and then how those things come up the scales and end up creating diseases and behaviors and all kinds of things. Because nanotechnology is the mani- manipulation of atoms. Is that a basic definition? Well, usually, it? so, so you, you know, when you're, so that's atomic science when you're okay. down at single atoms. Okay. Uh-huh. And when you start to make them little bigger collections, so you make clusters of atoms, you make molecules, then you're starting to work at the nanoscale. Uh-huh. So for the longest time, we had really, really good understanding of what happened at the atomic scale and even the subatomic scale. And we had a really good understanding of what happened at the micro scale and above. But we didn't have a very good understanding at all about what happened in between. And so that was the, na- the nanoscience revolution was sort of understanding how do you go from what we understand about individual atoms to what we know about what happens at micro scale and beyond 
what are, what are the transitions that happen in between? And so uh-huh. now we've started to understand that, and that's what's allowed so many of these new breakthroughs to happen. And, and we've had you on the show several times, and we've always, um, I've always tried to unpack that for everyone because it's such a fascinating kind of engineering that that is one of the fastest growing of all engineerings, I guess you would, wouldn't that be true? Of all of the research and development that, that is done, this is one of the ones that is growing the fastest. Right. So certainly if you if you include everything, which includes recombinant DNA technology and all of that sort of stuff, if you included that all in there, then lots and lots of the breakthroughs you read about in the paper, mm-hmm. which are just completely new ways of doing things, they came out of an understanding of what happened between that atomic scale and that micro scale. I remember also you said, I think it was you that said that, because um, we were trying to understand, and you know, a lot of people say, well, what are we, what are we researching? You know, what, where's the money going towards? And um, I think it was you that said the research that was done 15, 20, 30 years ago, um, had it not been done, it would have resulted in a huge drop in our GDP. All right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you if you look how much of our GDP right now, I think it's like two thirds. Mm-hmm. Two thirds of our GDP uh, completely depends on on science and technology that was developed, you know, even thirty or forty years ago. Right. You know, but certainly it's been in the last fifty years. So you know, old technology, railroads, and things like that aren't generating right. our GDP. It's it's you right. know it's electronics and and things like that are generating. I read an article the other day that said that 65% of the jobs that will exist in 10 years haven't been invented yet. Wow. Wow, so, that is amazing. Yeah, so that's that's a really amazing thing. So like if you have a, you know, child in school, I mean, that's really worth thinking about. Right. You right. know, how do, how do you train someone? How do you educate someone for a job that hasn't even been invented yet? Well, let me ask you a question because this is one that's been on my mind. And, and mm. when in nanoscience nanotechnologies mm-hmm. um you know this this building of the synthetic i mean do you have the capability now understanding at this nano level the mm-hmm. cellular structure can you synthesize a cell can you create one well it depends on what level you mean so can we create something that uh, reproduces and grows and does things like that then then the answer is no you know, so there is no synthetic life at this point. Now, what have people done? So people have created viruses from scratch. Mm-hmm. So just starting with nothing and building and, it, and they just build they they just build the DNA, and then they a biological virus, not a computer right virus. Vi- vi- biological right. virus. So that's been built from scratch. People have taken uh, a bacterial genome, so that's the DNA that that a bacteria has, and they've made that from scratch. But then they had to put it into a bacterial cell to make it work. So we can't actually make both the environment and the the DNA and make the whole thing from scratch. But, in fact, my group even does this. We make synthetic structures. So these are structures made out of of basically glass, really. It's silica. And uh, they're about the size of a cell. And we can pack that in with the things that express genes. And it works. But it doesn't grow and divide right. like a cell. It just sits there and expresses this gene. But, Kevin, think about it. I mean, if you can create something, a packet full of whatever you need to pack it full mm-hmm. of and send it back into a bio- mm-hmm. biological unit, even though mm-hmm. it may not multiply, mm-hmm. can you fight diseases at that level? Sure. So this project I just told you about, this is actually funded by DARPA. And, and you're familiar with DARPA. It's the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. And so one of the things that DARPA really cares about is, is okay, how, how do you get 
medical care to soldiers on the field as fast as you possibly can. And there's a kind of drug called a biologic. Have you heard of biologics? No. So no. biologic <laughs> is actually a protein. So it's, it's not as simple as these small molecule drugs that, that you're used to taking. But a lot of biologics are advertised on TV now for like rheumatoid arthritis. There's lots of cancer treatments that are biologics. Very, very fragile. Once you make them, they just don't last very long. So, you know, making bottles of them and shipping them places and having them, you know, still exist when they get there and still be functional when they get there is really hard. So what DARPA wants to do is they want to be able to just take something that's like a cell out into the battlefield or out into the environment, whatever, and then when they need a particular biologic, they just punch in which one they need and it makes it right there, right then and right there. That's and, craziness. Yeah, so this is what this technology is aimed to do. It's, it's aimed to take the place of a cell and that you just punch in and tell it which one of these biologics you need. And with the same starting material, it makes 50 different biologics, depending on just whichever one you happen to need for what you're trying to treat right that very second. That, that sounds like something from, from Star Trek. Yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, like Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs when, when, that, when, when that machine Well, that would that be food. his lab. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it's, it, it, it also begs the question, are there individuals, are there countries, are there groups of people that are using this technology in a negative way, would you think? Like you mentioned, the potential mm -hmm. of creating, you know, a virus. Mm -hmm. I mean, these seems like seems like there could be these keys to the kingdom could be put into the wrong mm -hmm. hands. I can't think of a single technology that's ever been developed that didn't have a negative application to it. iPhones, they have zero negative. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't seen me try to use one. <laughs> so, so the answer is yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, obviously. I mean, yeah. you know, everything you can Sorry think to of, ask obvious you know, question. <laughs> but, but you know that, I mean, you know, just take the internet. I mean, the internet is, is a great tool for lots and lots of good, right? But right. it's also a way for terrorist groups to organize. Right. It's always, it's a way for them to recruit, you know? Right. There's all kinds of negative uses for that. There's all kinds of negative uses for TV, radio. Uh, I mean, you just, you just look down the line and every technology. Well, that's a good point. Well, like for instance, I just listened on the radio on the way over here. This is not nano. This has to do with technology, but the Waze app, the Google Waze app that, that mm -hmm. is out there, yeah. um, there is uh, the LA uh, a district attorney, I'm not sure who it is, is is organized a group that has is asking Google to take one of the aspects of that that app down because mm -hmm. it, it gives where, it shows you where police activity is. Right, mm -hmm. and That's and right. so just just an example yep. where people take something good yeah. and and manipulate it and make it bad. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you know, and there's what is it that Mark always says? It's like. Figures don't lie, but, but liars figure. figure. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good point. That's, yeah. That's a very good point. Well, let me ask you something, because I was reading uh, one of your research papers that mm -hmm. you published back in 2007. Can mm -hmm. you believe that? Yeah. I didn't understand That's anything, but I did last grab time one. Tennessee went to the SEC <laughs> yeah. championship game. Well, this one was uh, nano-enabled synthetic biology. Yeah. Do you remember that yeah. one? Yeah, in the Molecular Systems Biology Journal. 
So, I, I mean, I want to ask you this question because in the heart of it, there was a statement that mm-hmm. was a part of the paper. Just, I want you to just kind of explain at the level that you're talking about. It says I don't know that, if he was prepared for this. <laughs> well, that's okay. He, no, he, trust me, he wrote the paper. We'll, he find, out, we'll find out, won't we? <laughs> you're talking about this technology says they are also valuable for studies related to understanding questions involving the origin of life. And you referenced another paper that was mm-hmm. written in 2005. What do you mean by that? How does that get you to that yeah. Yeah, really, that's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, how deep do you guys want to take this? I mean, as deep know. as you want. We only I'll have about it, a minute and a half. Keep it shallow for me. <laughs> so there's there's yeah. a there's an area of research that's called the protocell, mm-hmm. and the idea about the protocell was where did the first cell come from? You know, if it's kind of a chicken and egg question, right? If mm-hmm. you know, it's like, well, how does a how does a cell make the components that make a cell well first you start with a cell and then it makes the components and then you then it divides and you got a second cell and so there's this effort called the proto cell where you actually say well let's start without a cell oh. how do you how do you make a cell oh. Does, and, and this, so okay. there's okay. so one of, one of the theories that's pushed out there is this idea that that cells actually formed in these mineral deposits and they formed in these little pockets so you have these little mineral pockets that would let fluid come in and out, but there were sort of small enough gaps that some of the things got caught in there and that you had chemical reactions take place that would then have led to the first cell, which would be a soft, you know, lipid-bound cell. So that's, that's what that research direction is. There's lots of people that are asking the question of how do you get a, how do you get a cell if you don't already have one? Right. And so, you know, trying to make things that act like cells but don't have those soft lipid cell boundaries is is what that particular statement was about interesting yeah i understood about a quarter of that (laughs) but i mean that's just because of you know one of the things that i don't fully grasp when i'm talking in terms of uh, science and technology i I understood more than that maybe half of it (laughs) but but is is just understanding that, hey, look, there are people that are doing research in this realm. And that's why we have Dr. Simpson here, because he's going to help us to explain it. And when we get back from this break, he's going to dive back into protocells and photocells and all the other type of cells. <laughs> and we're going to split them just like neutrons. We'll be right back after these messages. Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what is really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. Welcome back into the Housing Hour. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, We love this new station that we're on right over here, Joy 620 and Talk 760. Um, We're just grateful. We're really grateful for the opportunity to to have this uh, relationship with them and uh, we hope you're enjoying our show and we'd love to have your feedback at any time Uh, you can go to thehousinghour.com click on contact us you can go to facebook.com slash thehousinghour also at thehousinghour as well Um, we have today with us uh, Mike Simpson Dr. Mike Simpson he's a researcher out at ORNL Um, not too long ago 
he received the prestigious uh, fellow. Uh, what was it, Mark? That he well, let me ask you. What was it that happened? Corporate fellow. Corporate fellow. Corporate fellow. What's you? the difference between a corporate fellow and a fellow? Is there any? <laughs> <laughs> I, it's just the title. It's it's right. a, so it's the you know they have sort of a ranking system that you go through as a scientist at L and if you're and I always tell people, if you just happen to be able to stay there long enough, they'll eventually make you a corporate fellow. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, with all the work that you've done, and and I know that there's other things we want to get to, and I, I, sometimes I don't stay on topic, but that's that's this my we essence. We don't have any topics listed <laughs> yeah. out, so go. <laughs> but I'm just thinking, like, out of all of the research that you've done, like Mark mm-hmm. pulled up this research paper of 2007. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what you do. You provide data based upon research. But out of all of the research that, that you've done, what do you feel in your mind has been the most important to society or even maybe not the most important society, but just the most important to your field? Well, that's, some inter- that's a really interesting question. I've done a, a wide variety of research over the 23 years. Maybe I've we should have sent you know, this question yeah. in advance. <laughs> but, you know, certainly most recently I've done a lot of uh, research on HIV. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, um, right. So, when, so right now you could cure AIDS right this very second if it weren't for this thing called proviral latency. Mm. So let me, let me explain that. So when a cell gets infected with the HIV, with which is the human immunodeficiency virus, one of two things can happen. One of the things can happen is is that that virus makes that cell make a lot more virus, and then that cell blows up and releases those extra viral particles out to infect more of your cells. That's one thing that can happen, Mm -hmm. and that's what usually happens. The second thing that can happen is, is it just takes its DNA and puts it into your DNA, and then it just sits there like a time bomb. That's the HIV before it becomes full-blown AIDS? No, that's so both of those things are HIV before it becomes Let's full-blown AIDS. Let's edit that AIDS. out, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, yeah so, so AIDS happens when the virus has killed so many of your cells that your, your immune system okay. isn't functioning well anymore. I see, okay? I see. Okay. So you can, have, you can be infected with the virus and not have AIDS. That just means your body has fought the virus to kind of a draw. Magic Johnson is probably an example of that. Well, well he's, he's, he actually went to, to AIDS. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has AIDS. He's been treated for AIDS for all these years. Right. And there's, there's this thing called heart therapy now is what they give to AIDS patients. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, you've got those two things the virus can do. It, it can either go what we call active infection or it can do what we call latency. Mm-hmm. And if it's latent, it's just sitting there. It can make more viral particles. It just isn't doing it right now. All right, so wow. how do we treat how do we treat it? But you're able to test for that even though it's no, latent. Oh, no. so you may not even know it. You, you don't know that cell. Oh. Now see that's now what I've, so if you get infected with the virus, then you know you have lots of cells that have the virus in them. Most of them are going active and you can detect the virus that's being made by those active infections, but you don't know anything about the ones that have gone latent. Mm, okay. Okay. All right, so what you do when somebody tests positive for HIV is you put them on this heart therapy. So this is the highly antiviral uh, uh, therapy. It's called heart therapy. And what that does is it takes, um, it, it, it can drive what's called the viral load all the way down to zero. So basically it can take the viral load down to where you can't even detect any virus anymore. Mm-hmm. But the second you take that therapy away, what happens is these latent viruses start to pop out. Ah. And then and then you're basically you're just reinfected again. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's now, why you had to continue to that's do why you the have therapy. to continue it and the heart therapy is actually quite 
quite tough on you. It's 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 not something you want people to be on long term. It's just you just have no choice. You know? It's it, isn't there like a several several pills that you have to take? It's a co- yeah, it's a cocktail. cocktail it's a it. mixture of all kinds of antiretroviral uh, drugs, and it's it's just something you don't want. It's like chemotherapy, right? You don't right. want to be on it because right. it has all kinds of other effects. Mm-hmm. You know, it has this therapeutic effect, and it has all these bad effects. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, so if it weren't for latency, we could cure AIDS. So this research that we've done most recently, and I do this in collaboration with Lior Weinberger, who's a virologist at UC San Francisco, is we've been trying to understand how that virus decides whether it's going to go active or it's going to go latent. And so, you know, lots of people work on on, um, trying to come up with a vaccine. Vaccines are really hard for this kind of virus. Mm -hmm. You know, same reason you don't have a vaccine for colds. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just this kind of virus is just hard to make a vaccine for. But we've kind of taken the approach, if we could understand how the virus makes this choice between latency and active infection, that maybe we could throw a monkey wrench into that mechanism mm-hmm. and that we could make all the viruses go active mm-hmm. and then you could cure it. Or the other way is, is you could make them all go latent. Mm-hmm. If you had some drug that would maintain latency. Wow, that yeah. is incredible. How many people are working on this? I mean, is it just you and the... Well, no, there's, you know, there's a handful. I mean, wow. people... Wow, in the United... In the world. Yeah, there's a, there's a you know... A handful different, in co- the world. Of course, there's lots of people working on AIDS and HIV, right? But this particular right. part of it, there's a, there's a handful of people that work on understanding this issue. Well, because, because if you're infected with the virus, you, you could either make them all go latent mm-hmm. or if they all became active right then you'd be able to cure it that way yeah exactly is cure the right word or that would is be it a, that would be a cure so the if you, active if you made them all go active and then you had people on heart therapy then that would just be a flat cure mm-hmm. if wow. you if but you, they'd still have to go on the heart therapy just until they just Everything until they eradicated the virus Wow. And then you could remove the heart therapy. Okay. It's the latent cells that are... The latent yeah. cells are the problem. They're just, think of them as time bombs. Are you so the if next, you could remove all the time bombs... Are you the next Jonas Falk? <laughs> no. Was that a receiver at Tennessee? Yeah. Oh, no, it was Craig Falk. <laughs> That's a Jonas Salk. Salk. That's it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, <laughs> Professor. Yeah, I would have failed his course. <laughs> well, uh, let me ask you a question about this AIDS real quick again, because... Mm-hmm. Um, if they all went active, all of the cells, then and you could take the heart therapy medication cocktail until it was eradicated. Uh-huh. If they became latent, then maybe there was a medication that you could maintain right. latency. Okay, so for yes. those, for the, is that correct? Yeah, so that's that would be like managing the disease. So right. that'd be like how you treat diabetes, right? It's right. You don't cure it, but you manage it. So if right. you could keep them all latent, you would be managing the disease. And if you could make them all active, you could cure the disease. Let me ask you another dumb question. Um, is it possible that AIDS was a man-made virus? Is that even remotely possible? Mm, well, of course... You know, right now the best evidence says that AIDS arose like in the 1920s in primate populations, mm-hmm. and that was well before there was any. Um, D- it was it was before we actually knew the structure of DNA, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it was so uh, it's impossible. You pretty much. Okay. I mean, you would you would really have to dream up some. You hear all these conspiracy theorists yeah. that say that it, you know it would be a heck of a conspiracy, right? <laughs> you, know? right. <laughs> you know, it would be a conspiracy that that spanned decades and and. Uh, you know, uh, posited the possibility of somebody being decades ahead of everybody else in DNA mm-hmm. technology 
you know, a century ago. You know, there are so many people that suffer with AIDS, and I'm sure that we've we've got people's attention talking about it because you know, there's there's just there's a lot of people that have suffer with it, and now we've been able to come up with at least this this heart therapy where they can take this cocktail. But man, what a what a discovery that could be if you mm-hmm. could somehow break through. That's that's unbelievable huge. that would be huge you'd be winning the whatever nobel, the peace, nobel prize. peace prize or whatever <laughs> i'm sure there's medical prizes for that as well um well when we get back we're going to tackle a couple of more subjects and one of the fun things that we do and i like to talk about is fact or fiction you know we talk about science fiction you talk about things that may be possible could be possible so we're going to talk to mike about some hypotheticals, if you will, and maybe get his idea of whether this stuff is even humanly possible currently. So come back and join us right here on The Housing Hour. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what is really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. I love that song. That's one of the good songs that are out there on the radio, Light Up the Sky. And it's actually a pretty interesting segue because uh, Dr. Simpson's lighting up the studio with all this cool information. And one of the segments we uh, have when we talk with Dr. Simpson or Mike is about uh, Tennessee's recruiting class. No, I'm kidding. Um, which is awesome, which actually. Which is knowledgeable. Yeah, we've we've been like. working on the DNA technology from this <laughs> yeah. class for quite a while. I know that's right. We have a legacy class for sure. But we, we like to talk about you know science fiction, and, and whether it's fact or fiction. And so let me ask you this, and it has to do with the president's visit. Is it actually possible to print out a car from, yes. from your printer? Oh, it's been done. Well, yeah. not from your printer. Right. But, no. But yeah, I have a bubble jet. Mine doesn't <laughs> yeah. even print out airplanes. But yeah, uh, paper airplanes. There is a there is a three D printer at, at ORNL and a, a car's been three D printed. Right. At ORNL, you know, uh, complex engine parts, everything. You know, so I'm trying to remember I don't know if the tires were actually printed or not. I'm not sure about that, but mm-hmm. but almost all of the car was three D printed. So the president came and he went to all places. I mean, I love Clinton. We have a lot of listeners in Clinton. But when you think of the technology hubs in America, mm-hmm. you know, it's the first thing that comes to mind is not Clinton. It just isn't. But we have a technology corridor that's a, um, kind of coming out of uh, Tennessee. Um, but so why was the president, when he went to Clinton, what exactly was he trying to accomplish by doing that? Well, so there's a, you know, they announced this manufacturing hub. So it's a manufacturing research hub that UT is going to lead up. ORNL is part of it. Mm-hmm. And the UTRNL, the main UTRNL part of this is in composite materials. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what's a composite material? Composite material is something that's a little bit of this and it's a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. And so in this particular case, it's about things that are a, a little bit polymer and a little bit carbon fiber. Mm-hmm. So why would you want to have that kind of composite? And the reason you want to have that kind of composite is, is you want to make strong materials that are really light. Mm-hmm. So why would you want to make strong materials that are really light? I know, I know. <laughs> well, because it would yeah. take less energy to make, right? And it would be it would be cheaper. It would cost less, right? 
So the big reason your, your look on the face is like See, no, he asks the question. Those and three are wrong because those he wants the right wrong. answer. <laughs> those those are all. I mean, so does it take less energy to produce? That's not clear. It's not okay. clear if it takes. China less. says it does. Okay. Well, because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they built a house but with a printer. Less than what you know that so. So the real so think about your cars. Mm-hmm. Okay, so right now. Um, you know, we're driving toward these cafe standards, which in less than a decade, cars are going to need to average 55 miles per gallon, mm-hmm. right? That's uh, double, you know, pretty right. much double. Right. So that means cars need to be a lot lighter. Sure. But one of the big problems when you make cars a lot lighter is they become not as safe. <laughs> yeah, I was going to okay. say. <laughs> However, if you, Carbon could, fiber. if you could make the materials stronger, even as you make them lighter, you can make the cars lighter and you can make the cars safer at the same time and mm-hmm. get better fuel efficiency. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's what these composites are all about, these polymer and these carbon fiber composites. Now, a lot of the basic research is being done at ORNL and UT for mm-hmm. these composite materials. But this small company in Clinton is a manufacturer so mm-hmm. they basically take this fundamental research and they turn it into products that then end up in vehicles and in wind turbine blades and things like that. So they built the car was there more of the showcase. That's certainly okay. something they can do. Well, so don't don't get these two mixed up, right? Okay. 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 So the okay. so the car is a demonstration of what you can do with three D printing. Right. Okay. The composites is. Uh, a demonstration of what you can do with this new, very lightweight, strong material. Mm-hmm. Now, those two, you hope those two merge. You hope that you can 3D print these composite materials. Mm-hmm. Now, is nano you know? have, is, is there any research, because nano goes down to the molecular level, mm-hmm. does that have anything to do with any of this nanotechnology? Well, so right now, most 3D printers are are down in the micro range, you know, okay. so maybe even hundreds of microns, you know, so so... Right now, you don't really define the car at the nano scale up. Okay. You define it more at the at the micro scale mm-hmm. and up. But yeah, you can imagine. I mean, we do we do some work in my group where we're trying to push down into the smaller dimensions with these three D type technologies. Let me let me jump in and ask you: this manufacturing hub and research center that mm-hmm. uh, President uh, announced is. This isn't just isolated to East Tennessee. No, no. This is a, this is a national. So it's a two hundred fifty million plus dollar national effort that UT is going to be the lead institution for. Involves several states. Oh, so you're talking about the lead for the country? For the country, yeah. Oh wow, I didn't realize right. that. Yeah. So we so, got it going on. Yeah. We do. Yeah. <laughs> we got some smart guys over there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so seventy million of that came from from DOE, so it comes from the um, energy, uh, energy Efficiency and Renewable Energy Program, EERE program, so that's $70 million. Mm-hmm. And then each of the states that was involved kicked in $15 million apiece, including Tennessee, and then the rest of it came from corporate sponsors like Volkswagen. Mm-hmm. Right? And so that made up the $250 million. So, so the Tennessee and Kentucky part of this is focused on these composite materials. The Michigan part of it is focused on, on vehicles obviously. And then um, I think it's Colorado. The Colorado part of it is focused on um, turbine blades, wind turbine blades. So taking these composite materials and, and of course, wind turbine blades, you want those, they need to be incredibly strong because you want to make them very big. And so then you have lots of forces on them, but you want them to be really, really light because you want to turn all that wind into electricity. You don't want to turn it into just uh, lost energy and in, in dragging these heavy wind turbines around. That's all. That I mean, that is all amazing because that is a huge 
project because there's all kinds of, of benefits from the things you're talking about. But also, let me ask you another question about this 3D printing technology mm-hmm. because we had this guy, um, La Pachelle. Um, you remember him, the guy who came with the Bobby Ditton Charity Classic, and he had built this, oh, yeah. this arm. He mm-hmm. had printed out Robotic. this arm. Yeah. And, and he's a 19-year-old kid. He's, he's a pretty amazing young man. And But he's on the cusp, he says, of being able to print out this exoskeleton suit for people who ha- who cannot walk mm-hmm. for them to be able to walk. Uh-huh. Now, he hasn't got there yet. I mean, he mm-hmm. doesn't. But do you think, is that something, from your knowledge of how this all works, is that something that's even possible? Oh, yeah. People who have yeah. never walked, I mean, they yeah. can't walk. Could you mm-hmm. imagine this? Right. Yes. I mean, so the, the big um, sort of stumbling block there would be the, kind of the control system. Because mm-hmm. right? you think about, okay, how do you walk and do the things you do? It's, it's, it's uh, controlled by your brain and your nervous system. Mm-hmm. Right? So you would have to figure out a way to interface the control of a suit like this to your own nervous system. And people work on these neural implants. I right. mean, one of these things that restores vision. I don't know if you've ever seen these things. Yes. So they literally just plant electrodes into the brain. Mm-hmm. And they have a camera, an external camera. And this external camera excites these um, electrodes that are in the brain. They're not necessarily even going into neurons that were meant to be there for vision. They just go into neurons. And your brain learns to interpret these signals as things it's seen. Wow. You know, it, it just seems crazy. it seems like at your your study of nano mm-hmm. and and this cellular synthesizing biology that you could marry these two types and create a cell to go implant in there and to yes. do it. So people do this, right? They do they do neural implants that control a, a, a not a not a robotic arm they're wearing, but they use these neural implants to control a robotic arm that's you know sitting here on the table mm-hmm. kind of thing. That's actually old. Right. That's that's happened, you know, quite a while ago. Well, the way that the way that La Pachelle, um does it is that he uses a Bluetooth headset mm-hmm. that cr- that actually controls the arm. Right. So I don't know if he's going to marry that. Right. So you'd have to, you know, you'd have to somehow get that into the neural. Th- I mean, right now that sounds to me like he's going to have spoken commands. Okay. I don't know how it works okay. exactly. But it, but you would eventually want to be able to, you know, tie that into neural systems and in then you would have to teach the brain then how to control the suit, but that's that's the way these things work. The, the the basics that I saw that how it worked was, and he made it work while he was here, is that he would the only thing that it could do, which is still amazing, is that it could actually shake a hand. Mm-hmm. And so though that was what he was able to do. And mm-hmm. you know what his aha moment was, and I'm sure that this is where the technology goes, is that there was this little girl that he met who his parents had to spend about eighty thousand almost or a hundred thousand on this arm that she mm-hmm. had that did nothing basically. Mm-hmm. And it was heavy it was bulky and she had to probably buy three of those in her lifetime because she was going to grow. So that's why it goes to what's the benefit of these lighter composite materials. Well, number one, they're cheaper. Number two, they're more functional and they're just, they're just better overall. Mm -hmm. And so I think the, the medical benefits of this 3d printing along with the manufacturing benefits you spoke of, I mean, this could be one of the best, uh, sciences of the future. Yeah, it's it's a it's what I call a disruptive technology. Well, I don't mm. call it that's that's a DARPA term, a disruptive technology. <laughs> so that's like changes the way we do everything. Right, 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 right. Okay, so you know, assembly lines were disruptive technology. The internet was a disruptive technology. 
3D printing, these new manufacturing technologies, disruptive. They're going to mm-hmm. change everything. iPhones have been disruptive to me because <laughs> I've been disruptive in the meeting. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. Well, this is, we have one more segment. We have a few minutes left with um, Mike. And when we get back, we'll tie everything up and put a bow on it um, and maybe have a couple of other questions. But thank you guys so much for joining us right here on the Housing Hour. We'll be right back. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what is really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. Welcome back into the Housing Hour. I have to imagine that getting up every day and going to work is exciting for Mike. And, and I don't know, do you love what you do? Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, I do. It's yeah. uh, you know, you're blessed if you get to do something like this yeah. for your for your career and your in your life. So, so yeah, I, I, I look forward to it every day. And, and that's one of the things. Except, of course, the days I have to come and talk to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and if people wanted to talk to you yeah. on our yeah. website, thehousinghour.com, I've got all of his bio mm-hmm. and uh, uploaded and his email address. So if you want to shoot Dr. Mm-hmm. Simpson a email and ask him a question, feel free. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great idea. And we're going to have his information and his content. He doesn't look like that in his picture anymore, but just, you know, we'll get a new <laughs> picture up for him. He's, I have I have several different photos on the housing hour. <laughs> he, he's smaller, faster, stronger, skinnier. He's all those things. Um, well, let me ask you a question real quick. You know, I read that article, and I think I sent it to you, or maybe I sent it to Mark. I can't remember. And it was about that Chinese company that built that apartment complex. It looked amazing. Right. And, mm-hmm. and, and it said that it was going to cost... 30% less than a normal building. And there was all kinds of stats that they were claiming, mm-hmm. you know, and of course I thought about going out and buying the stock, but then I thought better of it mm-hmm. because it just seems like an amazing technology. Um, is this something that's going to change? I think you said it's a disruptive technology mm-hmm. in a good way. Um, is this going to be something that's going to happen this year, next year? Or uh, the reason I thought about it was because, you know, that Harriman building that, that fell down. Right. I thought, what better way for a company to show this technology than to build that back exactly mm-hmm. the way it was mm-hmm. and, and say, look what we can do mm-hmm. and just with, with this amount of money? Mm-hmm. and Because they have pictures of it. So when is this all going to happen? Mm-hmm. And is that a good idea? <laughs> so uh, a, a quote that I read one time that um, – always influences me when I get questions like this is that predictions are hard, especially when they're about the future. Mm. (laughs) And and, and so, you know, what I feel really comfortable telling you is, is that this has got legs. It's going to go somewhere. It's going to, it's going to blossom and it's going to completely change the way we do things. How exactly it's going to roll out, Mm -hmm. you know, what, what's going to be what, what they call the killer application, the killer app. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it could be it could be something I could foresee and it could be something that's not even on my radar screen. Just to give you an example, I was watching a, a documentary the other day about Jeff Dunham. You know, who Jeff Dunham is. I love Jeff Dunham. He's in Dunham. Vegas. Right. Do you know he 3D prints his dummies? No kidding. He three D prints his dummies, you know. So he's going to save no the idea. world. Yeah. He is going to save the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he three D prints his dummies. You know, I, I 
I can imagine the day where instead of Amazon's, you know, Amazon's got this plan to send you your stuff by drone. Mm-hmm. I can I can imagine the uh, time where what they do is is they actually you just download the code and you print it. It's wow. like a, an yeah. ebook. Yeah, yeah, and it will actually be a book. <laughs> you know, you'll three D print a book. Yeah. This, well, I mean, there's <laughs> been the, the, you're the, blowing my mind. <laughs> the science fiction movies of yesterday mm-hmm. are becoming today's reality. They really are in some mm-hmm. cases. I think there was an article on that. I, with Star I, Trek and stuff. I quoted yeah. that. No, but I mean, like Google, not, I think it's Google, but at the latest automobile technology show in Vegas a few months back, they had the car that drove, its, you know, drove itself. Mm-hmm. That's going to happen, they said, within 15 years. Yeah, that's another one that's kind of hard to predict. Mm-hmm. So I think what you easily see is, is that um, some of these technologies that make a self-driving car are showing up in cars that you continue to drive, but they're mm-hmm. just helping you drive safer and better and things like that. So I think we're going to see kind of a long period of that. Right, okay. Okay, and then you're going to, you know, at some point you'll see the place where you can turn it over and have a completely autonomous car. But, yeah, because then you'll have more time to yeah. spend on your iPhone. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it always comes back to your iPhone. Yeah. Well, you know, this this show has is coming to a close, and it seems like we always run out of time, but we have so much to talk about, and we're going to continue this uh, conversation on Facebook But unfortunately, today we've run out of time for today's show. And don't forget, please, if you can, go to thehousinghour.com and go ahead, you know, look up Dr. Simpson, maybe ask him a question or two, join our conversation, give us some feedback. But we do want to thank uh, Mike for coming in today. Well, it's always a pleasure to be with you guys. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And hopefully next year we'll see you in Section O, Row 12 at some point (laughs) if I can get some tickets for Mark. Thank you guys for joining us. We'll see you next time right here on The Housing Hour. That's the Housing Hour with Kevin Ray for today. Join Kevin and his guests each week at this time to keep up with the why and why not you need to know. So come here to find out. This show is presented by Mortgage Investors Group.